Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, study you. Thank you for the faithful witness of the men who have gone before us, who have thought carefully about these things. We pray that we would uh, search your word, that we would be those who test everything according to the measure of faith given to us, that we would reach uh, full assurance uh, by testing the spirits, uh, reading your word, testing what we hear and measuring everything uh, against what you have said. Help us to be people who rest uh, upon what you have done, uh, the saving work of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So uh, this week we are in Westminster Confession of Faith uh, 14. And um, last week, you remember, Pastor uh, Brooks uh, went through uh, 13, which was sanctification. So if you were making up a word today, you might make up, uh, what did I say the other day with the teenagers? Holification, making holy, that uh, sanctus is the the Latin for holy, and so sanctification, making holy. And so this week and maybe next week, if we do 15 next week, I don't know if Joshua Hames is going to try to jump in and do the one he missed or not, but 14 and 15, the point is that 14 and 15 are explaining more about what is sanctification. So in theology, we use these words justification, sanctification, glorification, right? These are theology words. Can anybody break down the difference between those three? What are those three things? Justification, sanctification, glorification. Even just one of them would be plenty Perfect. Very well said there. So uh, maybe somebody had a little small twinge when you said the word evolve, but uh, that is uh, the, uh, the idea that um, typically we think about it justification, you're being declared just and righteous. That's the beginning. Sanctification, the journey along the way. You could imagine a JPEG, the GIF, and then the, uh, the credits roll uh, at the end there, the, the last one. So that is the, the sort of progression. Um, it makes it very tricky. There has been a lot of kerfuffle uh, in the last uh, 20, 25 years of people who say, but the Bible doesn't use the word uh, sanctification uh, that way. Hagiosune uh, and these other words like the, that sometimes when Paul says sanctification, he means what me, we mean when we say justification and, and that it's, 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 it's written in ordinary language. So there is some, uh, some beef there that, uh, that you may have heard about uh, controversies in our circles of people butting heads of like, I'm using, the way, I'm using the word the way Paul does here in Galatians, and some other people are like, I'm using it the way 1,500 years of theologians have used it. Thank you very much. So the, a lot of that has been a tempest in a teapot, uh, not you know, a lot of fight without a lot of difference. But um, for the sake of going through the confession, it certainly makes a lot of sense to go through and use the words in the theological sense. So, yeah, we are drilling down today and, Lord willing, next week on sanctification. What does it look like, the ongoing 
you know, assuming like maybe you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church and you had a conversion experience and then going on from that, maybe you grew up in the church and you don't remember some sort of like this one time at band camp. No, I mean this one time at, uh, at Christian camp. Maybe you have some experience like that, maybe not. But that the long haul, the ongoing long haul is what we're breaking down today. So the nature of saving faith is uh, what we want to discuss uh, today. So, can I get a volunteer to read point one, paragraph one, um, assuming you got the pretty pink paper there. Yep, uh, the gift of faith. The gift of faith makes it possible for souls of the elect to be saved by believing in Well, bread, sir. That was, that was nice. Well said. That was good. So uh, we are talking about the gift of faith, this faith that is then going on uh, in your life here. What do you guys hear the word faith used out in the world here? If you are not in church, you're in church, it's Sunday afternoon. Um, what, is, what is the normal way that people either a definition or ways that you hear it being used outside of, of church, out there in the world? What do, what do people, what are some expressions that people say about faith and things? How do they, how do they use that word? The Muslim faith, yes, definitely. Trust. Trust. I think you've got to have faith, like, like uh, optimism. Optimism, yes. I'm, I'm a person of faith. I have faith. Um, a lot of times we talk about, you know, you got to have faith in yourself uh, is, is the thing here, is that it's just sort of a attitude uh, is the way I hear it used a lot of people. Of You need to be a person uh, who's, uh, who's, who keeps the faith, has the faith, to stick to the faith, be faithful, all those kind of words. Um, we're not talking about the way the faith, the way the world talks about it. We're talking about um, saving faith. Um, can I get a volunteer to read Hebrews ten thirty nine? If you have a Bible there or a phone, Hebrews ten thirty nine is going to define a different sort of narrower focus rather than the way the world can just sort of broadly use the Muslim faith, Adam. Hebrews 10, 39. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Yeah. So, depending upon, what translation is that? ESV. ESV. So, some of them have a persevering faith, a preserving uh, faith. Uh, I think NIV is the one with saving faith here, like our uh, text uh, this afternoon, the idea that there, is, there are faiths that will then shrink back. There are faiths that will not make it, that will not allow you to sustain and will drag you down into destruction. It's not like, uh, I, think, I think a lot of times you come to the point of a modern movie and they'll say something like, you just have to have faith and the content of the faith doesn't matter as long as you have any of it. 
as if this was just magic pixie dust that just will automatically work regardless of the context. So I think that it's, it's pretty important to recognize what kind of faith we're talking about that will actually carry you through uh, to the end. And like we saw here in sentence number one, going back through the, the uh, confession in order, the gift of faith makes it possible for the souls of the elect, so there's just a little throwaway line back to election that we've already talked about, to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Faith is not something that in and of itself is magical and good. It is the object of faith, who your faith is in. Uh, who, you know, maybe you could have, before you knew that, you would have said what your faith is in. Uh, that actually makes the crucial difference between saving faith and faith in general. Um, lest we think that this faith is some particular kind of work, uh, this uh, translation is, is making a great point to say this gift is the work of the Spirit of Christ. So we're, we're not saying that this is something that you summoned up within yourself. Uh, we've read many times in this Sunday School series, um, but it bears repeating because it's Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2, for by grace we are saved through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, uh, lest anyone should boast that this is something that God gave us with which we believe. It's not uh, a work. Uh, it is a gift. Okay, so then there's a very particular phrase in here that I want to kind of tangent off of for a, a significant chunk of our time here. This gift is the work of the Spirit of Christ. Normally, so you can see there, capital S and capital C. Normally, we just call him the Holy Spirit. Why would they make a point here of calling it the Spirit of Christ as opposed to the more generic Spirit or Holy Spirit? What do you guys think there? Why, what, what, what would be special about naming him the Spirit of Christ instead of the Spirit? How are, yeah. Yeah, so that the, I will send the comforter that you may do works greater than mine. Jesus talked that way about the Holy Spirit. Definitely, yes. I would put it to you that we need to, at all times, look to Christ as our head. He is the, if we want to use the bride analogy of Scripture, he is our bridegroom. Um, if we want to use the body analogy, which is used a lot of places, he is our head. And I think that a lot of times when we come to sanctification, we reveal our, I'll just say, heretical views of Christ, that we don't think about sanctification in those categories that we just mentioned of justification, sanctification, glorification, we say there was no sanctification for Jesus Christ. He was holy. He was perfect. He was good. Um, end of story. We don't need to talk about sanctification for Jesus. And in a certain sense, that's true. He did not, he was not unholy. He had no sins to repent of. He had nothing like, he was, you know, tempted as, in every way as we are, but was without sin. But the scriptures make a real point of saying that the Spirit sanctified Jesus. Now, I'm not, so this is where I, that's why I caveated this earlier. I'm not saying that he needed justification, sanctification uh, in, in the way that we do, but that that word, 
is used in the Bible to talk about Jesus's life and that we do ourselves a huge disservice if we don't say, God, do, you know, I want to be like Christ. I want to be the model human being here and do what happened to him needs to happen to me. Necessary changes being made. Um, Sanctification is definitive uh, in the sense that, you know, we are declared righteous. We are going to be with God. We are his. We belong to him. And progressive, that we are made more and more holy as we go along. So um, if if you think about... Jesus's life here, even before he was born, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 1, bless you, uh, 35, uh, when the angel is speaking to Mary and talking about the forthcoming Jesus Christ, uh, he makes a point of saying, the fruit of your womb will be called holy. So uh, that is uh, definitely something that we, okay, that makes sense. Jesus is holy. I get that. Um, Let me get a couple people to turn up some things while I talk so that we're not waiting as that, can I get a volunteer for Hebrews 7.26? Anybody got a Bible there willing to turn up? Hebrews, okay, Hebrews 7.26. Uh, Luke 2.52. This is, yep, there's a good one there. Uh, and then, um, Mr. Lum, do you have a, a Bible? You're just not even... Uh, uh, okay, uh, how about Hebrews 5, 8? I, needed, I wanted to grab a teacher for that one here. So there's, um, <clears throat> and then uh, lastly, Isaiah chapter 50, 4 and 5. One more volunteer. Okay, there we go. <clears throat> All right, so we've already said before he was born, uh, Luke 1, 35, the angel makes a point to, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel makes a point to Mary, he will be called holy. And then um, Hebrews 7.26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Okay, so in his role as high priest, Jesus is holy there, set apart, uh, holy in that sense. And I think we're, so far, I've probably kept you with me here in the sense that he arrived, one and done, it's Jesus, boom, no progressive aspect to it. But then here comes the real kicker that I get every Christmas. I love it whenever this one is read, uh, Advent season. Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So young Jesus here, we're talking, you know, 12-year-old Jesus kind of time, and also the, the birth narrative stuff before that, but that he increased in wisdom. How often do we think about Jesus this way, that he um, was fully human as we are, and he had to learn? I think this is, especially for us who are teachers, this is actually foundational then of like, we, we, we tend to fall off into the heresy of wishing for the Matrix, right? You guys remember the Matrix movie where they just, and they upload the information into your brain? is that the perfect human being did not learn that way. Jesus Christ did not have Holy Spirit-beamed knowledge into his brain. He grew in wisdom and stature before men. His entire life was a process of, if we use the word carefully, sanctification, growing in holiness, wisdom, maturity, and those things. Hebrews uh, 5, 8. Although he was a son, 
Ooh, so it could, not only do you have to learn, like Jesus learned, but that it, the only way to learn, not just in Mr. Lum's class, but in all of our uh, class, <laughs> is through suffering, uh, is, is that there will be a difficult process of learning. It's inescapable that, you know, I'm, I'm always very conscious in my role as a teacher that I am if I'm not careful, humiliating teenagers for eight hours a day, seven hours a day, is that I'm just like, let's put your ignorance on public display, asking them questions that I know they don't know the answer to. That being a teacher is partly just to inflict suffering in a very real sense, and you have to gauge it right of when is it appropriate, when is it not, but that even Jesus learned obedience by suffering. If, if, if you fall off the idea that Jesus just had scripture in his brain, that he was born with it pre-installed, one of those you know, extra packages, pay-to-win games, that you can just get the extra data set installed as if you're playing the Christ you know, figure action set that you bought that version of humanity. No, then he would have a different human nature than we do. And he is, it, and what, what's the, the quote, what is not subsumed is not saved. You're the one, I'll learn this from you. Is that, the idea that like, if he did not take on our humanity, then humanity is not, if he had some other nature, other than our nature, then it's not saving to us. What good is it for? Yeah, I did get that from you. Yeah, yeah. The idea that like, he had the same nature as we do. He had to learn scripture it was not built in. He had to submit to being taught, having ignorance, not knowing, and getting more uh, in, in holiness, in knowledge, in obedience, uh, that Jesus Christ lived that way in his life. And then um, Isaiah uh, 50, verses 4 and 5. Is that you? Yep. Okay. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how sustainable the word of him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not back. So that's Jesus speaking, the Spirit speaking. That's one of the servant songs where Isaiah is describing Jesus. It's, it's honestly the best descriptions of we would kind of want to know what, what was going on in Jesus' mind are found in four places in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus lived. Uh, the, the, the more graphic descriptions of like, if you, want, if you read the crucifixions and the gospels, they're very short. Then they nailed him to a cross and he died. I mean, like, that's about, it's about how long they are. Versus he was bruised for our iniquity. You know, all those description of long description are found in Isaiah as prophecy. So that one, Isaiah 50, is I had to submit to the learned in order that I could have a word of wisdom to share. I had to be under teachers in order to grow and be useful myself. That this idea that Jesus learned and grew, and then we see the fruit of all of that once his ministry begins. What did Jesus answer the devil with when he was tempted in, in, out in the wilderness, you know, after his baptism? How did he answer the devil in, in Matthew chapter four when the devil tries to tempt him to do stuff? How, do, how does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. He quotes Deuteronomy three different times. He, he did not come with that built in. 
Jesus did not have Deuteronomy etched in his bones uh, with a special divine glowing float two inches off the ground, separate humanity different from ours. He had to be taught. He had to learn. Yeah. Yes. Right, yeah, and, and so, yeah, that this, this, is, this is the, but that he was fully, and so this is where, like, your brain is supposed to explode, because we're saying he's 100% man and 100% divine, and he didn't have a different human nature than we do. And, yeah, don't ask me to say, you know, 100 plus 100 equals 100, you know, kind of how that played out, but the point is, When we pray for sanctification to happen in our lives, we are prone to wish for miraculous, poof, uh, bippity-boppity-boo kind of version. (laughs) Thank you for, is that that, that, that Disney has more, and the Matrix have more to do with our ideas about growth and improvement and being better and more than you once were than being like Christ. I don't typically think to myself, I would like to grow in holiness as Jesus did. It's not a typical thought that I have. So reading this, these commentaries and thinking about what, is the, what are we praying for? Why, is it, why do they say the spirit of Christ is that in the same way that our head grew in wisdom and stature before men and became learning, you know, learned through suffering, there is, there is already outlined for us the path to being made more holy in Scripture, in Christ. And it's not magic, poof, bang, uh, Harry Potter spells kind of instant stuff. Is it, is it similar if we think about it being our original head, Adam, would have been the same for him, presumably, that though he was born without And what was the nature of the temptation? What are we get Eve's thoughts in Genesis three? Why is it so tempting and seemingly right to her to take the fruit? To be like God, it was able to make one wise, and it looks delicious, and it's pleasing to the eye, and it's going to get you all the stuff now. The instant poof bang version of sanctification that we wish for is a temptation right there from the start of why human beings fell for the devil's promise of some other way without suffering to get to holiness. That's right, the, you know, and that they had to, su- like God didn't tell them why you don't get to have this fruit. We get to have all these other things. They had to suffer. They had to not know. They had to have angst and ennui and, and, and wish that they could have the fruit and not know what's going on and face this test. God let them face this test through suffering, but they failed the test. We have to pass that, that sanctification will be through suffering as it was for Jesus. So it was, so it will be for us. The spirit produced growth, sanctification, character, learning in Jesus Christ. And the reason we're praying for the spirit of Christ to act on us as the elect is that it so, it, so with Christ as with us. Be like, you know, there's real truth behind those WWJD bracelets that what, what you would want, what be, what, how did Christ grow in holiness? That will be how it is uh, for us. Same growth kind of process. 
Um, let's move on then to uh, subpoint two here. Um, it's a longer one. Should I read it here? Anybody itching to read? Oh, thank you. By this faith, the Christian believes whatever is revealed in the Word to be true, authentic, authoritative statements of God Himself. By this faith, the believer also acts according to what particular passages in the Word say. By faith, the believer humbly submits to and obeys God's various commands. He trembles at God's awesome threats and eagerly embraces His promises about this life and the life to come. But the chief actions of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting on Christ alone for justification sanctification, and eternal life in the power of the covenant of grace. So if you want the kind of point-by-point point breakdown, this is it here, this section two. But the heading, remember the last thing that we read in section one there, is word, prayer, and sacraments. It is very difficult for us to accept that Believing the word more, fearing the threats more, embracing the promises more, resting are the ways that we will grow. One of the, one of the, the chief architects, uh, architects of how we think about sanctification, both in the one-time get-saved kind of sense and in the lifelong sense, is an uh, American uh, pastor, theologian named Charles Finney. Have you ever heard that name before? Anybody ever heard of, of Finney? So Finney, I'm, I'm tempted to spit when I say the name here, is, is that he took a call as a Presbyterian minister. And later there is an account of someone saying to him like, dude, like what you're teaching does not accord with the Westminster standards, what we're reading here today. And his response was, well, I've never read them. So, so it really, this, I don't think it's too much to say that he was a full-on Pelagian. Like a lot of times we have beef with different people of a non-Presbyterian, non-Reformed kind of background, and they say they, they have a weird view of free will that we, we maybe quibble with. Um, but they're not saying that you can do whatever, that you could live a sinless life in your human nature as it is now if you just tried hard enough. That's Pelagianism, and that's what he said. That's what uh, Finney believed. And, and, his, so, and, and the whole like, revivalism was, was his thing here, is that if, you're, if you've heard of the altar call or the anxious bench or these different kinds of ways of having revival— more holiness in the church, more, uh, he wouldn't have said that, more holiness, uh, getting saved, um, is, is from him. And he had six uh, points that um, were, it, when I read this to you, it, it's, it, I think you will see how absolutely pervasive uh, this is in an American Christianity today here. If you think about I mean, for me, I was, I was somebody who went down to an altar call. I didn't grow up Christian. I had the typical American, what you're supposed to, conversion experience. I did it in Korea, but it was Americans who led the thing. So it, it's, it's become glo a global phenomenon. Number one, it is reverse engineerable that the experience of somebody submitting to Christ, filling out the sinner's prayer card, getting saved, we can figure out a process whereby this will necessarily happen, that, that this can be engineered, um, was a foundational idea 
in his point of view. We're going to make, and you know, nowadays we've got the fog machine and the laser lights and, and all, and the, the, the worship song that's got the chorus is going to go for the 27th time. And, you know, and that you're, you've, you've got a particular kind of, we can make the mood uh, happen sort of thing there. That this, we, can, we can find a way to get people into the right spot where then they will be saved. That was, that was his idea. That was not, that was not a thing before that. Uh, number two, that it is about a cult of personality, that you are making this about the pastor. And it is, uh, it is not, or the, the speaker, the, the evangelist, the whoever, is that this is not, you know, God's church. This is so Finney's church. This is somebody's, that they're, the whole thing today of like, I just never get tired of saying his name, Creflo Dollar. The fact that there are, that there's somebody on TV asking for your money as a Christian named Dollar. It just like, yeah. So th- this televangelist idea of like, it's about them. There's, you know, t- you turn on your TV. I could turn on the TV. Where was I? I was in Prague and I was looking for a Christian channel. I was a new young Christian visiting my parents' uh, embassy work that they did. And there was a Christian channel I saw. I knew enough Czech to read that there was an English language Christian channel. And there was some uh, like, Haggerty, somebody kind of televangelist sort of person with, you know, selling the towel that they used when they sweated in the spirit or something that you could, you know, I don't remember. But it was just send me money and I'll send you a thing. And, and that, their head being the thing on the TV for an hour, that that's, that's Finneyism. Uh, number three, professional production. And you know, believe me here, so I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing Joshua, like he, he makes amazing videos, high, high quality, beautiful stuff. But it's, it's always a perennial temptation for us to say, this is necessary for, for sanctification. And I know Joshua is nothing, like that we just want to do well. And that's, that's not a sin, that's good. But that I remember when, um, when I was in college in the 90s, the, the Jesus film came out, this like, thing that you could give somebody on a DVD of the sort of condensed gospel into a little movie. And one of my friends, a uh, fellow Bible study leader, who has strangely enough since left the faith, said, finally, if only they had had this 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Just like, boy, God's timing sucks. You know, or something like, what is the implication? What are you thinking here? What is the, the idea that this has to be this super fantastic thing for anybody to get saved with high quality production. I will always remember there was at the, the church that, uh, where just where reason was baptized. And when we were married, Jessica and I were married at, there was a lady there who had gotten saved by finding a Bible beside the road. No production, no smoke and mirrors, no laser show. Uh, nothing is that she, saw something beside the road, she pulled over. It was this super well-worn used, somebody's beloved Bible that was super important to them and she knew it was important. And as she searched for trying to find out who it was, and it was a small town, trying to figure out who it belonged to, she just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And one day knelt down, you know, by the time she got to the end of Matthew of just to say like, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life tattered, old, funky, beat up, non-red letter, no gold edge, just 
screwy old Bible uh, that led her to eternal salvation, the opposite of this professional-ism, professional-ism. Uh, real quick, the, the last couple here, emotionalism, the idea that people will make these decisions if you can put them in a particular emotional state, that that is what's going to lead to sanctification and, and being saved is having a particular kind of emotional state. Brooks talked about this the other day when he was doing sanctification in general, is that the, in Screwtape, Screwtape says, our cause, the devil's cause, is never more in trouble than when someone looks all around and sees no sign either outside or inside, has none of the feels, has none of the God is just sending everybody and everything is going and you're on the winning team and gold and you know, everything is perfect. Uh, and that despite all of that being gone, nothing inside, nothing outside, but still obeys. The devil's cause is never more in trouble than when you obey. It's nice to have the feels. God is an anti-emotion. But that, that is, to make that the basis is, again, Phineism, number four. Uh, number five, I talked a bit about this when I was preaching on the Great Commission, is decisionism. Is that it's not about a lifetime of discipleship. It's about getting that one time I raised my hand, I filled out the sinner's prayer card, I went down to the front. That's the goal. Not go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nation, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you until the end of the age. Decisionism. And then um, lastly, um, I have it in my note here as not the church. He called it individualism, that this is something that we are having happen for them and not something that is part of their corporate life. We're not then following this up with join a church, be a member somewhere, have uh, be under leaders, pastors, elders, uh, submit to the body of Christ in any way. Not a necessary ingredient, he would say. So to me, finding this, pa- this article about uh, Finney and the, the opposite of what we're talking about here, the, the modern methods for how to get sanctification, I find that so much in my heart. Like I would, on paper, I would reject all of those. But yet, that has had so much more of an impact on me and just culture-wise than, than I would ever want to admit. It's really quite sad how much more impactful he is than, than what we're reading here. So the, the strengthened by the word here. So notice, um, I'm looking back up at paragraph one, is that the gift of the Spirit of Christ in the hearts of the elect is ordinarily accomplished by the ministry of the word. This is all under the word of Christ. And then that's, that's how people ordinarily, God is free to do what he wants, but ordinarily that is how people are saved. And then within that, we break it down to the Bible, prayer, and sacraments. And again, this is all under the umbrella of the word, that the word of God is Jesus Christ written down and inscripturated for us. And the reading of that scripture, praying to that same God, the the prayer by the, uh, in accordance with the word, and then the word made visible in the sacraments. So you, can you picture that three things coming out of one thing, <clears throat> idea? So then our paragraph now here, uh, paragraph two, is that the way you grow, second sentence, by faith the believer also acts in according to what various passages in the word say. We've already had paragraph one, or 
Westminster, chapter one of the Westminster Confession of Faith was on the Bible in general, and now we're drilling down, and it's like super difficult and complicated. All these different passages in the Bible will challenge each of us in different ways. What's your background? If you have a feminist lean, uh, that that was the way you were raised, then getting pushback and reading, you know, I, there, it's... It's jarring to me to read, to hear, to, you know, the, 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 as the weaker vessel. And that language is still something that the way I was raised, that I bristle at that. I know it's true. I believe that the word of God is good. But, like, that is not automatically the way that I think anymore. I need to submit to, to those passages. That the, the part where it says, uh, you know, that... Such were some of you talking about homosexuals in Corinthians. That there needs to be some sense, if someone is going to be saved, that has to be, in some sense, past tense for them. Or they're not saved. Like, oof, that, that seems like an incredibly countercultural thing to say today and not cool. You know, like that's, that's definitely against our impulse as modern 21st century North Americans. Um, another one here, that trembling at the threats. I, I, you know, I'm so glad my, I have a, a wife who loves education as well, and so she starts every year, homeschool or whatever, with Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So much of modern evangelical way of talking is the, the love of God. The lo- you, you end up sort of like, is this, is this God or Santa Claus? Is this God or the... What's the fabric softener, downy bear, kind of like, which, that, that to say we tremble more at his threats. And, and lest you fall into the heresy of thinking that's Old Testament, you know, Paul says, I press on to the height, lest I myself be disqualified. The guy who wrote 13 books of the New Testament talks that way, keeping the fear of the Lord before him. So, Growing in your acceptance and embrace of the word of God in all of its various facets. I think it's wonderful here that they are acknowledging how varied it can be, your encounters with the Bible. Is that, is that y'all's experience that you're going along, it's easy, like, oh, here, this king, that king, great. Like, oh, wow, is this, what is this doing here? That there's just landmines if, you, if you're reading the Bible through. Has is that, is that been y'all's? Am I, am I the only one? I, I find this to be a very, you know, submitting more, obeying God's commands, trembling at the threats, embracing the promises both for this life and the life to come. I'm in, I'm in Proverbs right now in my audiobook Bible for my commute. And it, even there I'm finding struggle about, you know, the, the person who honors the, the Lord will, 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 will prosper. And I'm like, this prosperity gospel? Like, what's going on here? It's like, as a, as a teacher, I'm not swimming in money. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely like struggle to believe. Is this, is, how is this true? What does this mean? What do you guys think here? Is there, is there, is, is any, probably, you don't have to share one about like a current thing like that, but some passage that used to bristle and has become more acceptable and meaningful and taken into your heart and Embrace the character of God as revealed in Scripture, both commands, threats. Any examples? You can think of 
forward in the South having a more culture of honor. Uh, you know, the hierarchical nature of the Bible, that's not a big deal, but love your enemies, that's a lot more difficult if, you know, your reputation, your name, and honor is what you hold chief. Um, that can that chase Than to have the hierarchical. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 You landed on some of the more culturally hot ones with the feminism and anything to do with like sexuality, dealing with homosexuality, and in particular the, the conquest passages in Joshua. Those were difficult for me. And I remember feeling like I needed to make excuses for those or just soft pedal them or something like that before. And really, it wasn't until, I don't know, the last two or three years where I became really convicted that this is good. Like, everything in there is good. It's me and it needs to change. You know, I think it's one of Doug Wilson's saying, like, once you've got the correct interpretation of a passage, you should have no problem passing that, that hit me really hard. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have a problem with any of these passages. So, but we do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then it becomes so, then it becomes, like you're saying, submitting to that and saying, actually, I'm going to lighten this because this is good. This is really good. You know, my heart is you know, seemingly wicked. We can know it, but God knows what's good. Yeah. Were you, you saying one? Yeah, like, say one point for me was when it's in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and shows that he's investing all of his effort. So that was one stuck out to me. And another one was just the whole interaction in Job between God and the devil. And this, like, yeah, go ahead and do. Smash do this guy, yeah. You can't go this far. It was just this, like, how do I reconcile this? Especially right in the proximity of all these good things that he's done. So the kid that worked with the journey. Yeah, Adam. For me, it's, I mean, throughout Scripture, every time I think I've got a handle on, okay, I turn on an individualistic culture, and so there's some sort of that, like, we're going through Isaiah of it's the people and so thinking through the lens of the people rather than just focus on me or my family. So um, that keeps coming up is how deeply ingrained that is of how I even come to scripture. For me, that was definitely the one with infant baptism was to just say that like, yeah, but where's their decision? Where's their uh, the moment when they accepted this for themselves personally? And I didn't, you know wasn't until I had a special needs son that I realized, oh yeah, that's an intellectual hurdle that I'm, I'm putting there and the, the individualistic nature of it as opposed to salvation has come to this night to you and, to, and your households. And you know, all of you and your, house, your children after you be baptized, have the promises of the Lord are for you and for your children after you. There were, there were multiple dominoes that had to fall for me before I became uh, infant Baptist, that that was... That was a lot of these kinds of problem passages all came together to oppose that one, for sure. Um, almost out of time here. I think we need to skip down to number three here and um, finish this up here. I will read 14.3. This faith has different degrees of strength and weakness. It may be attacked and weakened often and in different ways, but it gets the victory. 
In many believers, it matures and becomes uh, completely assured through Christ, who both creates and perfects our faith. So I think it's all, you know, as much as we just spent in number two there, acknowledging the varied, variegated nature of Scripture and that there are promises and threats and commands and all of these different things that are various ways we have to face that. It also then is going to say for each of us, how much faith someone has varies from person to person. And the real test is, you know, some people struggle enormously. This will be a section coming here in a few weeks of assurance is, is something that is, is, of course, the goal. But different people struggle with that in small and big ways uh, a lot as, as different people. The defining thing there is that second sentence is that some people's faith is attacked, some people's isn't. Some people's faith is weakened by just long-suffering of where is God, of you know, watching your spouse, your, your, your child. I mean, just, I won't go into all this. It trigger me, but like the, the just horrific things of life can really weigh people down. But the, the, the defining characteristic, this is the chapter on saving faith, is that it gets the victory. Some people run across that finish line just tearing the tape with their chest looking like, you know, let's go run another marathon after that one. And um, I, I remember chasing after uh, Clint at, uh, what was the sports day? And like he had such a lead on me and it was, it was sports day two years ago. And just, he just kind of, <laughs> and, just, and I'm, I'm, I don't know why I was, I am, I, I love running in Chacos, which is just a sin. Uh, and, and, but, and I, people all looking at me like how far forward I was leaning, like you're going to fall to your death on concrete. And I could not talk for 15 minutes afterwards. I had put everything I had into that. I didn't get close to catching him. But, um, the, but the, the differences between our various faiths here is, is how much faith somebody has is not the measure. The measure, according to 14.3, is that it crosses the finish line, is that it gets the victory. You are a believer with the Lord by his gift that you have saving faith to carry you into his arms after death. Um, that for many believers, it matures and becomes uh, assured through Christ, but that it is always Christ who gave us this faith and is progressing, perfecting it in this life. That, again, that picture of sanctification as the slow, steady progress. And that doesn't mean that there aren't enormous dips, but you'll, you'll bring out the statistician in me. If you do the regression analysis, is it a positive correlation? Is, that, is the trend line pointing up? Um, and then you, then you can bring in calculus and say, what's the limit at infinity? Is that if, if, you are, if you are trending up, even to the least extent, right? Like what happens if you add one plus one plus one plus one, but you do it for eternity, then that's, that's infinity. That's something that grows. You can even, here's one more cool math fact, you can add a half plus a third plus a fourth plus a fifth plus a sixth, it's, it's one of the smallest series that still blows up to infinity. If you had been adding that list, one, a half plus a third plus a fourth, um, and doing it one per second, 
um, for 15 billion years, um, you would still only be in the thousands at this point. That's how slowly that one grows. Um, but it is, and if you ever want, I can prove it to you. Uh, that one still blows up to infinity in the long run. If you allow that process to go on for forever without limit, without limitation, it will trend off towards as high as it needs to go. And that it is, it is not about your faith never has any dips, it never has any rocky seasons, rocky years, difficult times, but that in the end, it gets the victory. Anything, any closing final comments, questions, reflections, thoughts about saving faith? Well, let's stand and, uh, and pray, and uh, we can be done here for, with Sunday school. So, <clears throat> dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for saving faith. Thank you for the gift that the Spirit of Christ uh, is working in our hearts, has worked in our hearts, will continue to work in our hearts. We pray that we would be people who press in to uh, your uh, fellowship to be with you. Thank you for this coming hour that we have to worship you freely. We ask that you would meet us uh, in this time, help us to uh, flee from sin, to turn to you, to embrace you, to eat a meal with you, to hear your, hear your word. Uh, thank you so much that you uh, are with us and never leave us, uh, never forsake us, God. Help us to trust you for our sanctification, our justification, our glorification, all these good gifts that we receive from your hand. We ask it in Jesus' name.